My family know what I'm like when I lose my keys. And they know how often I lose my keys. So a couple of birthdays back, they bought me this key ring. And it's a key ring with a difference because it's got an electronic tag on it. Not to keep track of me, I don't think, but to keep track of my keys. And the theory is that this is incredibly accurate so that even within your own house, if you drop your keys out somewhere and you look up the app on your phone, that it gives you arrows and it gives you exact coordinates and you get right to where your keys are. It works well in theory. That's until I take a key off my key ring as I did last week when I um, lent someone the church key and then I forgot where I put that. So it has limited use and limited benefit to me. But you know what it's like to lose your keys? We all do it. The absolute frustration as you're looking down the back of sofas, you're asking everybody in the house if they've seen your keys, and then that automatic relief, that wave of relief when you find your keys again, and, and it changes your whole day. Because keys are important to us. If you think about it, I look at my keys here today, and I suppose my keys represent so many parts of my life and things that are important in my life from my home to my place of work. The church in a place called Ephesus is the kind of church that you would want to be part of. If you're serious about church, you would like this congregation and you would be glad to be involved in the life of the congregation in Ephesus. And yet, it is a church that had lost its keys. And so the Lord of the church, the Lord Jesus himself, he steps in and he tells them what they need to do. Today we're beginning a new series here on Sunday afternoons. When we look together at these letters that are written to seven churches in a part of the world at this time in the book of Revelation. And next week, when we have got more time, we'll look much more at the background to all of this and seek to understand what this is all about and where it fits in to the bigger story of the Bible. But today, we jump straight into this first letter. And actually, it's a letter that we have considered here in Connor before. I think it was about four years ago. But we're going to look at it again today as part of this bigger series, because this is such an important message for us to get to grips with today. So I encourage you to turn with me again in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2 and to verses 1 to 7 as we consider this letter that was written to a church in the city of Ephesus. And the really important thing for us to understand today is the writer of this letter. Who is it that sent this letter to the church? And we get the answer in verse 1, that it was the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Look at verse 1 again. We're told that these are the words of Him who holds the seven stars in His right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. And to understand what that means, the seven stars 
represents seven angels or messengers of God that are allocated to these congregations. And the seven golden lampstands are the congregations, the churches themselves. And that helps us to understand straight away something about who we are as a church. It helps us to understand who Jesus is in relation to the church, that he has all authority, that he is the one who holds these angels of heaven in his hand, and that he's present with his people, the church, that he's walking among these golden lampstands. And because he's there with them, he knows everything about them so that he tells the church in verse 2, I know your deeds. I know all that you're doing. And when you think about it, that is both an encouragement and a challenge. It encourages some people here today to know that Jesus knows everything about us. Because sometimes you're maybe busy doing things in church and you feel that you're never recognized or appreciated, that what you're doing is behind the scenes and missed out by everyone. But Jesus sees what you're doing. But it's also a great challenge because when I think about my life and when I think about what we can be like as a church, to know that Jesus knows everything about that is challenging and humbling. But I wonder what would be the perfect church for you. There's a great story told about the Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon, who was back in Victorian times, and he had a bit of a following. He was such a good preacher that there were people who followed him everywhere, and they hopped about the churches that he was speaking in. There was one lady, and she came up to him at the end of a meeting, and everything that she said was so critical about churches that it was doing Spurgeon's head in. And then she said, I'm looking for the perfect church. Could you tell me where it is? But Spurgeon replied, no, I don't know where the perfect church is, but promise me one thing. If you find it, please do not join it. And hopefully the point is clear. There is no such thing as the perfect church. But having said that, the church, the congregation here in Ephesus, it was pretty impressive. And I think that many of us would have been happy to be part of this church so that Jesus talks about the things that the church in Ephesus had going for it. He tells us that it was an active church. He says to them in verse 2, I know your deeds, your hard work. They were busy getting on with the job of telling other people about Jesus. And then they could be described as a sound church. They believed the right things. And they were alert to false teaching and to things that are not in accordance with God's Word. So that Jesus says of them in verse 2, you cannot tolerate wicked men. On down in verse 6, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, and we don't know exactly who they are or what they were up to, but we know that these people were discerning. But as Jesus puts it in verse 2, you have tested and have found them false. They could tell the difference between good teachers and those who were false teachers. 
And it was also a strong church. It was a church that took a stand. Jesus says to them in verse 3, you have persevered. You have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. And this would have been a really tough time to be a church of Jesus Christ. It was a time of immense persecution and personal suffering, and yet they kept on. So this is a church that appears to be in really good shape. And no doubt people on the outside looking in, and even those who were within the church in Ephesus would have felt that it was a good place to be. I remember just over five years ago now when I was approached about Connor. And it was a big thing to consider moving away from where I was, but I knew the reputation of this congregation. And I knew of the the faithful ministries of the the previous ministers here, and the emphasis that they had on God's Word, I knew good things about this church. And when I meet with other people, they tell me good things about this church. But of course, for us today, the big, big question to keep before us in the light of what we're reading in God's Word is, how does reputation and reality match up. So let's return to Ephesus for a moment because this was the verdict of Jesus on this active, sound, strong church. This is what He says to them, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. That was the reality for this church with a great reputation people who were looking on from the outside, people who were inside this congregation, they could only see the things that were being done. They could only hear the things that were being spoken. But Jesus, the Lord of the church, He gets to see it all. And He could see deep within their hearts. If you want to put it like this, Jesus could see the soul of this congregation. And he could see the truth that this was a church that had lost its keys. It had lost the things that were fundamental to its identity, the things that would unlock future worship and mission as a congregation. And what had it lost? Well, here's the shocking thing. Look again. It had lost its love for Jesus. Jesus says to them in verse 4, you have forsaken your first love. He's saying to them, you don't love me the way you did at first. And he uses that language of first love. We know of that today. And we can see that sometimes, a relationship that starts out with so much passion and, and yet over time that fades away. And Jesus told this church, you do not love me in the way that you did at first. Well, who's he speaking to? What is the church? Or or more precisely, who is the church? Well, it's the people who follow and trust and love Jesus. It's people 
who have put their trust in him. And I wonder, is Jesus saying to you today, I want you to really think about this. Is he saying to you, you have forsaken your first love? You do not love me the way you did at first? And if you don't do something about it, this is what will happen. And he goes on in verse 5, look at that verse to say, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Now, what does that mean? Does it mean that these people who have trusted in Jesus will somehow lose their salvation or lose their relationship with God? Well, surely that's not the case given all that we learn in the Scriptures. Because we think about the words of Jesus elsewhere in John chapter 10, as he talks about such people, as he talks about his sheep, and he says of those people who have trusted in him, those who he has chosen to be his people, I hold them in my hands. And he goes on to say, my father holds them in his hand, and no one can snatch them away. So it's not that these people would lose their relationship with God, but it's a terrible thing. They would lose their witness. Jesus is saying, if you don't change, this church will disappear. No more witness, no more light to the world, no more light to your community around you. Do you no longer love Jesus the way you did at first? at first. I can see so much that has happened over this past couple of years, the time of the COVID pandemic. Do you know what I now believe has been the greatest danger through this time? Complacency. That somehow we've been given that little window to disengage from church. And in some cases, I'm talking about believers in Christ here. Have you lost the love that you had at first? Well, Jesus tells us what we need to do very quickly. He tells us, first of all, that we need to remember, verse 5, consider how far you have fallen. And he's saying to the Ephesian church, think about what it was like at the beginning. Think about what it was like when you first believed in me and found true life in me. I wonder today, can you remember back, if you're a believer in Christ, what it was like when you became a Christian, when you realized that you were forgiven, that you'd been given a new start with the God who made you, that you'd been given a bright future with Him. When you meet new believers, it does your heart good because they have this passion for Jesus and they want to make Him known to others. But as time goes on, we have to admit that that can fade. Or is your love for Jesus? Has the stuff that's happened to you in your life, the influences that you've come under, meant that you've forsaken your first love? Sometimes you hear about couples. Maybe you're one of them and they return to the place where they had their honeymoon or the place where they had their wedding reception in the hope that 
It'll just rekindle something in their marriage and in their relationship. Do you need to go back? Do you need to go back to the place and the time when you learned the truth of the gospel, when God found you by His amazing grace? Your chains were gone in the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to remember, and then Jesus says, you need to repent, all to verse 5. Not only do they need to remember, he also tells them to repent, and there has to be a returning to God. And the Bible calls it repentance, a true turning, and it involves a complete change of direction in our life. It requires a sorrow about our sin, that we, we really feel sorry about the way in which we've turned away from God and lived life on our terms. And sadly, repentance is not a big thing in the church in the year 2022, but it should be. I wonder, for some here today, do you need to do this for the first time? Do you need to discover the love of Jesus for the very first time? Repent and turn away from living for self and come to Him. And then the other thing is to retrace verse 5, where Jesus states to this church, do the things you did at first. It's a bit like retracing your steps to find your keys and you think, oh, where have I been around the house today so far? You're back in the rooms and you're looking around places in the hope that your keys will be where you started out. To think back, what did your life look like when you were a new follower of Jesus? the thing about new relationships. You meet that person. You want to spend time with them. You want to get to know them. That's what love does. And it should be the same as a follower of Jesus. That if I love Jesus, then I should want to spend all the time I can with him in his word, in prayer, in fellowship with other believers. Believer in Christ, retrace your steps. Come back. Sunday evening, Wednesday night, come back and be part of that fellowship of believers in Christ. This is a letter that appears in Scripture. That means that it is God's word to us. It's not just a, a letter to and about one church 2,000 years ago at a place called Ephesus. That means that this is God's word. That this is the verdict of the Lord Jesus on all churches in all places at all times, including the congregation of Connor here in 2022. And Jesus He's calling me to you today. Listen. One of the greatest reasons why people lose their first love 
Do we 